This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to The Stand with Emma Johnson. Now, across the water, we have seen the most extraordinary series of strikes and social unrest, and indeed the country looks ungovernable and this Tory government is in big trouble. In the opinion polls, remarkably, they would struggle to get anywhere close to a number where they'd need to be back in government again. However, there is also another drama, soap opera perhaps, that comes with the publication of Prince Harry's book called Spare. It's the biggest selling non-fiction book in history and it has consumed an awful lot of print media interest. And of course, he's given four interviews for television and there's some pretty horrible stuff flying around. We're joined now from London by Chris Johns. Chris, former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland, now a respected commentator with his own podcast, The Other Hand, which is doing really well. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. I just saw a number during the week, I think from the CBI in Britain, that their estrangement from Europe is costing just under 6% in terms of their GDP this year. Should they get involved in a trade war, it would, of course, be much more serious and there are signs, despite the sort of peaceful noises, there are signs that that's the way Europe is thinking. Chris, nobody will ever admit, nobody seeking election, will they, including Sir Keir Starmer, that Brexit was a mistake. But the economics of it, and you're perfectly placed to judge that, the economics of it look terrible, and the state of Britain their inability to get trains running, ambulances driving people to hospital, nurses tired and and worn out. They're not alone in some of these problems, but in Britain they do seem much more severe. Rail strikes as well coming up very soon. Yeah, there are things about all of this that are common to all countries, of course. Lots of countries are struggling with cost of living crisis, higher interest rates, higher energy prices and all of the other things that have flowed 
really post-pandemic and, of course, more, more recently, the Ukraine war. But they do seem to have hit Britain particularly or perhaps uniquely hard. And there are, I think, several reasons for that. The estimate that you gave there of just shy of 6% of GDP is consistent with other independent estimates of the cost of Brexit. It's a staggering number, isn't it, Chris? I mean, that's no joke. No, absolutely not. And it has all sorts of ramifications, some of which, of course, are linked to what's going on in the public sector and their strikes and the state of the NHS. And generally, the feeling that is growing that nothing works in Britain. Uh, Everything seems to be going wrong. The most unlikely characters are now almost on a daily basis, I wish I'd kept account actually, writing articles, tweeting, putting things out, saying, why doesn't Britain work anymore? And it's a wide range of people. Nigel Farage has done it. He's tweeted, why doesn't Britain work anymore? The economics correspondent, economics editor of the London Times this week wrote an article in which he said, why is it that Britain doesn't seem to work anymore? And there are a whole plethora of similar comments, remarks, articles, tweets, blogs being written with that question uh, very much at the forefront. And uh, as you say, it it, it reflects a government that is floundering. There are lots of reasons why Britain doesn't seem to work anymore. It's a very, very complex process. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in, in a lot of history, actually, but mostly the last 15 years. And what has gone wrong in Britain is that it hasn't grown for those 15 years, And it hasn't grown in particular for those in the bottom half of the income distribution. In fact, their incomes have fallen. Yes. So there's negative growth for an awful lot of people. And that's rooted in austerity, David Cameron's legacy to the UK. Most most economists would agree that the austerity practiced by Cameron and Osborne was completely unnecessary. And it contributed to the no-growth situation of the last decade and a half, a a lost uh, very long period of time. And one of the other things that happened during that period is that Britain became a much more unequal place. And I've talked about this before. If you are in the bottom half of the income distribution, not just the bottom 10% or those at the very bottom, if you're in the bottom half of the income distribution, you're doing very badly in absolute terms relative to anybody in the countries that we like to compare ourselves to, France, Germany, Canada, Australia. If you're in the bottom half of the UK income distribution, you're doing worse than you're much worse, actually, than your counterparts overseas. So when you have a cost of living crisis hit, when you have prices going up for everyday goods and services, it hits poorer people particularly hard. And because Britain has so many of them, this is one of the reasons why the cost of living crisis has hit Britain harder than it has hit anywhere else. If you then think back to all that stuff I talk about austerity and the way in which the NHS in particular, but the public sector in general, has, uh, contrary to what the Conservatives say, not been protected. They talk about when Steve Barclay, the Health Secretary, has been on the airwaves this week saying, using that phrase, the stock phrase that they use, we protected the NHS during those years of of austerity by keeping real spending constant. We didn't cut real spending, is their claim that is consistent with the idea that they protected the NHS. That claim is completely bogus because during that period, Britain's population grew, it got older, so its healthcare needs grew, and medical technology improved such that you, just to stand still, you need to spend more. And so they have denuded the NHS of, of funding. The reason why the NHS is in many cases falling over, um, I don't want to be hyperbolic about it and say the NHS itself has fallen over, clearly many aspects just aren't working. In the last week of 2022, for example, there were around 1,500 
excess deaths, to use that horrible phrase of the statisticians, that cannot be explained other than to point suspicious fingers at ambulances waiting, A&E waits, waiting for operations, uh, the queues, uh, all the the things that we see every day. So there are so many different aspects to this, Eamon, uh, but it stems principally from the fact that the economy hasn't grown, we've got bad inequality, and the cost of living crisis has hit us very, very badly indeed, so that the people who are in that bottom half, that's half the British working population, are really struggling. And a lot of them are in the public sector, which is why you've got the public sector strikes. And I, I think that the, I don't think there's a recognition at government level of just how deep a hole, an economic hole, and therefore social and political holes, that they are actually in. And a lot of the solutions that they're coming up with represent sticking plaster solutions rather than deep thinking about how on earth is Britain going to get out of this very deep hole that is dug for itself. Yes, and there are signs, Chris, of some people hankering for the golden age of Boris Johnson. And news emerged last night that he received one million pound donation. It's the biggest single donation any politician in Britain has ever been given. And that he is trying to make up with Rishi Sunak in order to be given a safe seat because on the present figures, his 7,000 majority would look extremely unsafe. That's the thing, perhaps, the hankering after this cowboy that exists in Britain is probably the surest sign that the country collectively seems to have lost its mind. At the same time, Johnson is living in a house that's worth 20 million. So you may end up with the man who caused a lot of this back in charge. Certainly if Tory if Tory members get the chance to vote. The fact that Johnson is on manoeuvres to make uh, to A to make his seat safe and B to make a comeback as Prime Minister actually, Eamon. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy called Lord Crudas, I think it's Peter Crudas, who has formed a, a Tory uh, kind of think tank uh, group, it's ERG like that uh, has all sorts of goals and aims that look superficially attractive and sensible, but in fact is a bring-back Boris group. Yes. And uh, Lord, another Lord, Danny Finkelstein, who, who is a, a Tory, yeah, a Tory he's a peer. Yeah, sensible man, a former journalist, writes in, well, he's still working as a journalist for The Times. Yeah, he wrote a column for The Times about Credis's, uh new movement, a new group this week, and he likened it to back in the 70s when momentum for Labour got going. It's an insurgent group designed to do lots of things. One of the main one, I think, is to bring back Johnson, but it's really to give, his stated aim is to give more power to the uh, Conservative Party members, take power away from MPs, for example, in electing the leader. And certainly if you you give more power to those Conservative members, as Credis seems to want, then Johnson is on the comeback trail. But he is his seat is in trouble, Eamon, as are so many Tory member yes. seats. There was a, a, an opinion poll published only this morning by Westminster Elects that gave the Labour Party a 20-plus percentage points lead over Conservatives. Yes. And yes. so if that was translated into a general election, the Conservatives would be wiped out, they'd have a very small number of MPs, and Johnson would be toast, hence his trying to get a safe seat. That's his first priority. And of course, his second one is to make that comeback as prime minister. You couldn't make it up. He, you know, he is the one 
one man that is responsible, if there is one man responsible for all of the trouble that Britain is in, and it, it's it's more, it's bigger than one man, but the finger of suspicion would point at, at Johnson. It, 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 it's, it, it is replete with irony, but it, it's disastrous. If, it, if he does stage a comeback, then, um, you know, give up all hope you enter here. Yes, of course. A lot of the economic troubles, as we've just referred to earlier, stem from Brexit. And he delivered a Brexit and it was a hard Brexit. And it's the hard Brexit that is causing the difficulty with the Northern Ireland Protocol. British minister, British foreign secretary cleverly was in the north during the week. And when Mary Lou Macdonald, who is the president of Sinn Féin, appeared for a meeting, the unionists and cleverly walked out and cleverly, rather stupidly, said, we'll be in Ireland next week. In other words, Mary Lou Macdonald, he talked to her, but only when they were in Ireland. He was standing outside Stormont. I mean, you can't, that kind of crass ignorance, which followed a Sinn Féin walkout, naturally, if their president wasn't allowed to be there. Well, there is a case, isn't there, Eamon? I mean, I, I must push back slightly there. I mean, they handled it incredibly badly. It was crass, the way in which it was handled. I totally agree with your comments there. Mary Lou Macdonald, it, it, it doesn't get any personal vote. She isn't a representative in the North. No, uh, that's, the, that's Michelle O'Neill is, is, yeah. is, is the leader yes. from the North. And there was a case for saying yes. that they could have been handled much better for saying yes. that the people at the talks should be the direct elected re- representatives yes. of the people of the North. I completely accept that. And, and you're right to push back. And I'm glad you pushed back because we could have been accused of collective bias. Nevertheless... To come out and tell the people and the press that they'd be in Ireland next week, when they were, in fact, in In Ireland, Ireland. uh, was either a studied insult or just a very stupid, but it sounds like a studied insult. But it does give you a flavour of the Tory cabinet. I think it's the health minister, another clown, who said that he wouldn't talk to the nurses about money and wages. Then he decided he would talk to them about wages, and then he didn't talk to them. These are the guys, one is the foreign secretary, the other is the health secretary. This is the caliber, if you like, of people that Johnson has bequeathed his successor, Sunak, who looks incredibly weak. He does. And uh, the health secretary is another one of those characters that just is, is, is weak beyond belief, actually. He's yes. been on the airwaves all, all, all over the last few days. Stupid. And it's, what, it's one of these bizarre situations where everybody knows that they're going to have to talk to the, to the nurses. Everybody knows that they're going to have to give the train drivers more money. Everybody knows this. Every dog in the street, to use that time-worn expression, knows how this is going to go. And yet they persist with this macho approach with, with the, um, we're not going to talk to them. And then they, then they flip flop. It, it, it's incoherent. It makes no sense. It's going to end up in a place that they keep saying that they could never go to, but we know where it's going to end. It is going to end with, with more money for these people. And so why they don't just go there is, 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 is something that we all ask ourselves in Britain that, you know, this, this is, this is so pointless. This dispute, these disputes are so ridiculous. The case that both the particularly the nurses are making is cast iron, and so just get on with it. Yes. And that, that, that they 
seem incapable of doing it smacks of this poor governance thing that I bang on about, that one of the reasons why Britain is in the state that it's in is not just Brexit. You mentioned nearly 6% of GDP. That's enormous. It's consistent with estimates from the Centre for European Reform, who recently published 5.1%. The Office for Budget Responsibility, the independent government watchdog, has said it's 4%. So these are big numbers. What they translate into, for example, and I think I've mentioned this before, is that the tax rises in uh, Hunt's most recent budget are almost exactly the same as the tax losses that Brexit has caused the Exchequer. So people need to join these dots and understand but it's not just about Brexit. It's, it's about all these other longer-term face problems facing the UK economy. And, and trying to get to grips with these seems to be beyond this government. And one of the long-term problems facing the British economy for at least the last 15 years, if you think about that succession of prime ministers, uh, Hunt, uh, sorry, Cameron, Theresa May, uh, Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, they're all from central casting of people who basically were not up to the job. They were poor governors of the country. So the appalling governance of the UK, along with Brexit, along with a whole host of other problems, I could go on about, for example, the education system is not particularly schools, is not fit for purpose. The short-termism present in British industry via the stock market is, is another big issue. There are so many of these things that have suddenly combined to dig this hole for Britain. And there is no recognition at the top because these people don't seem to have the intellectual capacity to appreciate the scale of the problem that they face and begin to think of solutions that they need to uh, deal with these issues. Of course, the fundamental, whether they are smart or whether they are stupid, the fundamental problem they face is that these problems have been building for so long they are long-term structural problems. And anything that you can do to alleviate them lasts well beyond one electoral cycle, let alone the next two years. Uh, And I go back to that uh, Peter Crudders thing, that this momentum-style group in the Tory party that he is forming, that article that Danny Finkelstein wrote said that if Crudders succeeds, there'll be a general election this year. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, Chris, Prince Harry and the royal family have consumed so much publicity across the world, really, in the United States. Television interviews, he's given four altogether. His book, which is called Spare, a reference to the heir being William and he's the spare, which is an old British idea. The book has sold more than any non-fiction book in history. And the discussion around what he said, particularly serious, was disclosing that when he was in Afghanistan, he killed 25 members of the Taliban, which I would think is a remark that will haunt him for the rest of his life, and his family, indeed, and his children, and everybody associated with him, not least himself. Could this be the beginning of the end of the royals? Or what's your sense of the people's mood. Are they pinning the blame for these disclosures on Harry or are they looking at the institution itself and saying, is this a good idea? I must say, I don't think they're doing the latter. I think that Harry's getting it, I think. I think that Harry is taking most of the blame, at least from the media. If you're taking your views and allowing your own personal views about this to be formed by the press, the traditional press, then all of the ire is being directed towards Harry. And there are a number of reasons for this. But number one is, of course, that as part of the interviews that he's given, the Netflix series that they've done, this book that he's written, he and Meghan are having, have repeated goes at the press, particularly the tabloid press. Yeah, the and of Oprah course, Winfrey was another one. Yeah, they're pushing back. Uh, the press yeah. they, they don't they don't like the way they've been put in the firing line by Meghan and Harry and so th- there was a leader column in the Times this week saying how dreadfully unfair it was for uh, Harry to have a go at the press and so that that's to be expected so that's one way in which the, the British media at least are trying to say this is all about Harry and Meghan this is not about the royal family I think there are many many different takes on this you, and different people have very different views I don't think there is one general sense amongst the British people coalescing one way or the other everybody seems to have their own particular take on this from yes. thinking that this is sort of very public therapy that Harry is going through uh, very sad people just people do feel sad for him actually I think that that's a, a general feeling uh, I think some people are angry towards him you mentioned that that passage from the book which has received a lot of publicity about the deaths of Taliban as Harry's hands flying an Apache I think it was an Apache attack helicopter and the immediate response of the British establishment to that was to wheel out a whole bunch of army characters saying this is dreadful this is something that the army never does we never talk about our kill rates or or names or, or addresses of people that we have killed this is just not done and what was really interesting to me was that the, the Times this week wheeled out somebody I'd never heard of, an ex-army, senior army type, to say absolute nonsense. People have been talking about their kill rates. If you go into any barracks of any regiment, 
you will always get this kind of talk. But more importantly, if you just go back to, say, the Iraq War and the books that were written uh, by, yes. about, for example, SAS missions uh, that went wrong in, in, the, in, the, in the Iraqi desert and the very, very graphic descriptions of Iraqi troops being killed by SAS soldiers and the millions, millions that were made by the writers of those books. There is a long history of people going public with their killing. And this guy actually wrote about, and this is perhaps where an Irish audience would be particularly interested in this column if they go and take a look at it. He talked about the boasting that took place in the regiment after the Lahore ma massacre yes. uh, of many, many years ago, and the photographs of the people killed that were on display in the barracks. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but he did write about that. And he just said that the way in which the establishment tried to close ranks and have a go at Harry for that is pure hypocrisy. This is something that old soldiers do all the time. So I've yeah. I haven't read the book, but I have read the excerpts of that passage, and I must say my uh, I don't think that it was uh, that as inappropriate as the British establishment has been saying. He he actually it was actually quite a sober, reflective uh, piece of prose that that um, of course it was ghost written. I mean that's yes. the other thing we need to remind ourselves about this book is that the ghost writer is is himself has been reputed to receive a a figure in excess of a million for ghost writing this book. We're talking about big money here. Yes, indeed, and the ghost writer one has to say, is a respected journalist and already has won awards in America. He ghostwrited a book about Agassiz, the tennis player, which was acclaimed. And I, a book I read, actually, the title was Agassiz. But just to make a point about the killing, we know from our own experience in Derry on Bloody Sunday and shortly before that in Ballymurphy of the paratroopers' willingness whatever about boasting, to murder innocent people, to kill innocent people. The bigger sort of question doesn't appear to have arisen yet about how the institution is damaged by these rather revealing memoirs, not least the allegations of racism, which I must say I haven't seen any hard evidence of that. But is it taking? Is that taking hold? Is that getting some grip? I don't think there's a Republican fervor starting to grow in the UK right. at all. <laughs> I, I, I think that in, in a in a funny kind of way, um, I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if you if you said you wanted to distract the British people yes. uh, away from the problems that that we've just outlined there earlier on in in this podcast, uh, this this is a marvelous distraction, isn't it? it it's yes. soap opera. Uh, almost, almost entertainment. And uh, one of the curious things about it is, of course, the way in which the book is sold in America and the almost obsessive interest that an awful lot of America, Americans have in this. It's not just British people. Even so the, I think the French, the, the most Republican of all people, do have frequently royal figures on the cover of their magazines. And they do indeed. They're mad about the royal family. They're mad to have one even. <laughs> so I don't know about I, I, that. As a Republican, I'd love to say to you that this is going to lead to the end of the royal family, that uh, that they will now become a bit like other European royal families, relatively minor players on the stage. Uh, but I, I don't sense, at the moment right. at least, any kind of great upswell of let's get rid of them. Uh, I, I think there's an awful lot of interest, but I, I don't think that, uh, certainly for now, that this is, this, this, this is a, a terminal shock for them. Just a final question, 
Chris, and it's it's a serious question about Rishi Sunak, the current Prime Minister, and there have been, as you pointed out earlier, so many British Tory Prime Ministers, some of them without ever going near the people for an endorsement. The possibility or the probability that Boris Johnson, A, can get a million pound donation from one person, B, can announce plans, which he's about to do, we understand, to visit Ukraine to give the Ukrainians encouragement to assure them of Britain's... I mean, surely that's the job of the Prime Minister. Is he going to become an alternative Prime Minister whilst waiting for a safe seat, which Sunak may or may not give him, and it's in Sunak's gift? That's a rather strange arrangement, isn't it? Given, what, as you said earlier, nobody is more responsible than Johnson for many of the messes we're looking at. I think that there is a small group of people, and as I say, I am not a conspiracy theorist, so I'm reluctant to push this one too hard, but what you're describing there is consistent with a small group of people who've actually twigged that something is seriously wrong in the UK. There was an article by another lord, there's several of them in this particular play, Uh, Lord David Willits wrote an article on a website called Conservative Home. The website name gives it away. It's it's a Tory right-wing website in which he began discussing uh, the problems facing the UK in exactly the same terms that I did with you just now, which is that a large part of it stems from the massive increase in inequality in the UK, the people in the bottom half doing very badly. But of course, the corollary of that is that the people in the top half, particularly in the top 10 to 1%, are doing very well indeed. And people like Willits, who are in that top 10 to 1%, are saying, look, if we don't do something serious, it's going to be pitchforks in the street. He didn't say that literally, but I think that that's the worry. And I think that the reason why these people are donating a million pounds to people like Johnson is that they're trying to protect what they've got, and they don't want the kind of uh, mini-revolution that would occur if Labour did get nearly 50% in the opinion polls at the next general election. Because one of the things that we know Starmer is going to do, even though taxes are very high in the UK, he's going to put their taxes up. He's going to tax these people a lot. He has to in order to get any kind of spending going in the UK economy, in the UK, for the UK government. And there will be lots of other things. They know that their position in in British society is very protected. They're not suffering as a result of the cost of living crisis. These are the people that have done very well from the rise in inequality. They're the people at the top. And I think that they are now maneuvering to try and keep their position relatively safe. And one of the ways in which you do it is that you you, you try and get one of your own back into power. And Boris Johnson is, if nothing else, a man of these kinds of people, yes. the kind of the kind of people that have a million pounds to donate. Yes. And they know that if they get somebody like him back into power, that's their only hope of protecting their position. Because the, going back to all that stuff I said about the hole that Britain is in, in some ways, Britain needs... I use the word revolution uh, advisedly, but if you think about back to 1979, we knew then that Britain needed a revolution of, so- of sorts. We may not have wanted what we got, which was the Thatcherite revolution, but something like that is coming. It has to, yes. to sort out Britain's problems. And the people who've done very well over the last 15 years, the, ve- the few that have done well, are really worried about this. Yes. So I think that that's what's going on. Okay, Chris, as always, it's fascinating to talk to you, and we're very grateful to you indeed for joining us that's Chris Johns we're grateful to Chris as always to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now we'll talk to you soon 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.